18 and we'll read the whole chapter. So if you've got your Bibles there and want to take it out, uh, that will help you to follow along. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verses 1 to 40. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how many will one know Or how will one know what tune is being played, unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner, I am foreigner speaking to, to the speaker, and he is foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say Amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you are saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking be adults. In the law it is written... Through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people. But even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, Will they not say that you are out of your mind?
But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. What then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at least at most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the, speak, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all the congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Did the word of God originate with you, or are you the only people it has reached? If anybody thinks he is a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. This is God's word. Uh, Now, friends, there is an outline in your newsletter that will help you today. Talk about playing with fire, trying to tackle a chapter like this in one sermon, or be tackled by the passage. I think that's what will happen to us. But nonetheless, this is the word of God, and so let's pray to him for his help. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that as we come to this chapter and these words of yours, Help us to submit to these words as the very word of God. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our friends, any guesses how many churches there are in this suburb alone? Any guesses? This suburb. 20, a bit too high, a bit lower than that. One digit. 10, one digit. (laughs) Nine, no, eight, no, no. Seven. Seven. That's according to Google Maps anyway. Any guesses how many churches there are in the city of Whitehorse, which we belong? 20? Oh, too low. 55? Bit low. 150? Bit too high. 60? Higher? 77? Very close. Uh, you very holy man, you beautiful. Um, no, um, 80, about 80, a bit over 80 churches in our suburb alone. Um, yeah. 
Now, if you were to visit each of these churches in our suburb or this council, not saying that you should, hope you're not, we'd love for you to remain here, but if you were to visit different churches, what you'll see is that churches do church differently in different ways. Okay, you'll see different things. And so, you go to different churches, you'll see different orders of service. There are churches that are a bit more structured and there are churches that are a bit more free, a bit more relaxed. There are different elements in different churches. And so in some church, every week you would have the reading of the Bible and the preaching or or the sermon. But in some churches, you won't have that. There are different preferences or differences in music. There are some churches which have organs. There are some churches which have this thing called a drum. We have both, if you haven't noticed. There are some churches that sing five songs. There are some churches that sing 25 songs. Not that there's anything wrong with that. And of course, there are differences in emphasis and attention given to the more sensational, the more spectacular, the more phenomenal of the spiritual gifts, such as tongues and prophecy. And so, what are we to make of it? Is it just a matter of preference? Or is there something more to it? Well, the topic or the place of tongues and prophecy has been a source of division, if not that, at least a source of confusion amongst Christians. Now, now if tongues and prophecy pose no confusion to you at all, then that's a good thing. But if it does, if you are confused by what it means, what its purpose is, then there is no better place in the Bible to go to to gain a better understanding of the purpose of tongues and prophecy and its use and how it is to be used. Now, what we need to do now is to remember the problem of the Corinthians. There was rivalry amongst them. We we saw this right from the beginning of Corinthians chapter 1. Rivalry amongst them. There was this sense of superiority this sense of one-upmanship amongst some of them. And so some thought, because I can do things you can't, because I can speak in tongues, because I can prophesy, then I'm more gifted than you, then I'm more spiritual. And so they measured their, their maturity and their spirituality by the intensity of their spiritual experiences. Now what did Paul do? How did Paul shoot down that idea? Well, beginning in chapter 12, he says, there are many gifts, heaps of different gifts, heaps of different spiritual gifts, but the one purpose. And there are many parts of the church, but the one body. And so Paul says in chapter 12, you're all gifted in different and various ways. They are God's grace gifts. God distributes them. It is up to him. They are not your gifts and whatever gifts you have, don't make you any less important or any more important. You are important. Full stop. You are sons and daughters of God. You are important. Full stop. And so that's chapter 12. Chapter 13, which is not really meant to be your standard wedding passage. I'm not sure uh, how many weddings you've been to. It's often used as a wedding passage, but really what it's about is, he says, you might be the most gifted person around. You might be gifted in so many and various ways, but if you do not love with your gifts, if you do not use your gifts in love, then you are nothing. You gain nothing and it is all meaningless. 
You see, that passage about love, that chapter is about, about love, is meant to show us that our gifts are to be grounded in love, exercised in love. That's chapter 13. Now, chapter 14, Paul now puts them in their place. He gets to the core of the problem. For what purpose are you seeking these spiritual gifts? What principle should direct the gifts you desire? And what principle should direct how you use these gifts? And so firstly, Paul says it is love. It is love that should direct the gifts you should desire. It is love for God and love for his church. And so, only comparing these two gifts, he only compares the two gifts in chapter 14, tongues and prophecy, which one does Paul think is more useful or more loving? Which one? Well, if you have a look, it is prophecy. Look at verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. And so he's just comparing the two. He's not comparing all the spiritual gifts. He's only comparing the two, tongues and prophecy. Out of these two, which would he choose? He would choose prophecy any day. But why? Well, it's worth us now working through this passage quite quickly to see what the purposes of tongues are and what the purposes of prophecy are. And so first, tongues. What are they for? Well, Paul makes it quite plainly clear in our passage. Firstly, they are like prayers directed to God. Have a look at verse 2. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God it is like a prayer. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. You see, it is directed to God. Tongues. Secondly, they are for self-edification. The word edification means to build up. And so if I speak in tongue, it is to build my own faith up. It is for my own good. Have a look at verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. And that's because no one else understands it. Only he who speaks in tongue is edified. They are unintelligible words. And so, for example, if I were to speak to you now in Chinese, if I'm to give this sermon to you in Chinese and I say the most profound things ever, I give my best sermon ever in Chinese to you, that's meant to fire you up in your faith, that's meant to encourage you in your faith, and I give it in Chinese. It won't do anything for you at all, will it? It won't do anything for you simply because you can't understand it. You won't understand it unless you do understand Chinese. In fact, I can't really speak that much Chinese anyway, so I shouldn't be (laughs) preaching in Chinese. And if I try, you won't understand anyway if you do know the Chinese. But you get the point, right? It will be a short sermon. (laughs) And so that's what Paul goes on to say here. Look at verses 6 to 12. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction, even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp? How will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, 
How will anyone know what you are saying? You'll be speaking into the air. Now verse 10, Undoubtedly there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. I don't know about you, but that is quite clear to me. What Paul is saying is that if you speak in tongues in the church gathering, in the public gathering of God's people, you're not helping anyone. You're not edifying anyone simply because they cannot understand you. It is simply, as Paul puts it, speaking into the air, which is another way of saying it's useless. And so instead, seek the gifts that build up the church. And so, the second point, tongues, is for self-edification. Third, tongues can build up the church. There is a place for tongues in the church if and only if it is interpreted, if it becomes intelligible. If it's not interpreted, then it has no place in the public gathering of God's people. This is what Paul goes on to say, uh, verse 13 to 17, have a look. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. That is, I don't even understand what I'm saying. And he goes on, what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. That is, if it's interpreted so that you can understand what you're praying. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say Amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not understand what you are saying? You may, give, you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. And so again, I think that is quite clear. If I were to pray in Chinese at the end of this sermon, and if in the pastoral prayer we prayed in Chinese, if you don't understand Chinese, you cannot honestly say Amen to that prayer, can you? You can't because you cannot understand it. It is unintelligible. And so if tongues are to be spoken in public, in the church gathering, in growth groups, wherever, it must be interpreted. It must be intelligible. Only then will it edify the church. And so now the question remains, what are tongues? Are they real human languages? Well, in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, when foreigners came, when the Spirit was poured out upon believers, these foreigners, they were able to hear these believers speaking their own native languages. So they are real human languages. Or are they also non-human languages? Well, in 1 Corinthians 13, in our first reading, it talks about the language of angels. Are they real human languages or aren't they? In the end, it actually doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all whether they are real human languages or not. It doesn't matter because it only has a place in the public gathering of the people of God if it is interpreted. If it's a real human language, you need a real human interpreter. If it's not a real human language, you still need an interpreter to make sense of it, to make it intelligible. And so what this also means is that when the church service is filled with everyone speaking in tongues at the same time, where no one can make sense of what is being said, where there is no interpretation, 
where there is nothing that is understood, then it does not serve any purpose in the church service. Or, when the church is encouraged or even forced to speak in tongues, where everyone is expected to speak in tongues to show that you are really spiritual, as a sign, as evidence of your faith, or that is to dangerously misunderstand the purpose of tongues. Books like this, which emphasise, which overemphasise the gift of tongues, 70 reasons for speaking in tongues. It teaches this, you can learn how to use your spirit language to see your prayers answered, activate more faith, receive healing and victory and increase God's love and power within your life and ministry. You see, that's a distortion of what the scripture says. It is, after all, tongues is a grace gift distributed by the Spirit of God as he determines. And so, if I'm not given this gift, does it then mean my prayers won't be answered? If I'm not given this gift, does it mean that I do not share in the victory of Christ? Of course not. Or another one, another book. This is a manual for speaking in tongues and it teaches this. After you ask to be baptised in the Holy Spirit and ask for the gift of tongues, then yield to it. Begin by speaking out. If necessary, beginning by making meaningless sounds. The Holy Spirit will form them. You see, that is a terrible distortion and manipulation of what is a grace gift. Given by God for the good of his people. Given at his discretion not something that I can simply claim. It's mine and I want it. You know, this is just manipulation, make meaningless sounds. So tongues must be interpreted. Finally, about tongues, having said all that, tongues do have a place in personal edification and so it is not forbidden. We do not forbid speaking in tongues. Paul says so himself. Look at verse 18 now. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. And so presumably, Paul spoke in tongues often, but privately. And so verse 39, do not forbid speaking in tongues. You see, tongues do have a place in personal edification. And as a consequence of personal edification, if the person speaking in tongues is built up, In an indirect way, the church benefits from that and that's why it's still a good thing. You see, if you do speak in tongues and you do so privately and you are encouraged in your faith, you become more fervent in your service, you become more loving and caring of the church of God, then that is a good thing for the church. The benefit is indirect and so it is not forbidden. And so this passage does not teach that the gift of tongues has ceased with the apostles. That is tongues. What about prophecy? How is it different? What is the purpose of prophecy? Well, firstly, they are directed to the church, not God. Look at verse 3. Everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement and comfort. Secondly, prophecy edifies the church. It builds the church not merely the individual. Verse 4, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies 
edifies the church. And why? Well, thirdly, it's because prophecy is in intelligible words. It can be understood. And that's why Paul prefers prophecy over tongues. Look at verse 5. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather you have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. In fact, he does some maths for us. Paul says prophecy is 2,000 times better simply because it is intelligible. Look at verses 18 and 19. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but the church, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. It is 2,000 times better. And so prophecy is directed to the church. It edifies the church because it is intelligible. And so what Paul is doing here is making as plain as possible. Tongues, prophecy. He'll take prophecy any day. And also he shows now they serve a different purpose. In fact, it is prophecy that serves as a sign for believers, whereas tongues is a sign for unbelievers, a sign, a negative sign, a sign of judgment. And so he wants the church, don't be so childish, you people. Grow up now. Look at verse 20. Brothers, stop thinking like children in regard to evil. Be, uh, in regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. And so what Paul is trying to make clear here is that when people hear strange languages, when people hear language they do not understand, it is in fact a sign of God's judgment that they have been invaded by foreigners. It would be a bit like if after World War II, Here in Melbourne, instead of hearing English over the radio uh, of our victory, instead of hearing that, we hear Japanese. What would that mean? Well, it would mean that we've lost the war, we've been invaded, we've been taken over. It is a sign of judgment to hear a language you do not understand. And so Paul goes on, verse 22. Tongues then are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers because they do not understand It is a sign of judgment on them. Prophecy, on the other hand, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. Even in the Old Testament, the prophets, when they proclaimed, when they prophesied, it was to the people of God. And so, when unbelievers hear tongues, it will make no sense to them at all. They will think you're crazy. If I was to speak in some other language at an English-speaking church, When people come in, they'll think I'm crazy, right? And so Paul says, verse 23, so if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But you see, when they hear prophecy, though it is a sign to believers, even the unbelievers will benefit from that. And so verses 24 and 25, But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everyone is prophesying, he will be convicted by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. And so he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. And so tongues or prophecy, Paul is comparing the two. 
prophecy any day. It's a sign to believers. But it also benefits the unbelievers because it is intelligible. And so it is love for the church that you would pursue and desire that gift, the gift that builds. And so love determines what gift what gifts to desire, but it also determines how gifts are to be used. You see, if spiritual gifts are for the building up of the church of God, then there must be order in how the gifts are used. And so Paul now, what he does in this next bit, is he regulates the use of tongues and he regulates the use of prophecy. And so firstly, regulation for tongues, verse 26 to 28. What then shall I say, brothers, when you come together? Everyone has a hymn or word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. You see, Paul is there regulating the use of tongues in public. If in public, it must be interpreted. And at the most, two or three. If you're the fourth person who wants to speak in tongue, well, you must remain silent. That's a regulation for tongues. What about a regulation for prophecy? Verse 29 onwards. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets, for God is not a God of disorder but of peace. And so what we're seeing here is that tongues must be interpreted. Prophecy must be weighed. Prophecy must be evaluated. And so what this means is that prophecy does not stand on the same level as the authority of Scripture. New Testament prophets do not function with the same authority as Old Testament prophets where they are able to declare, thus says the Lord. You see, New Testament prophets are quite different to Old Testament prophets. They are not there to give us new revelation about God and Christ and his saving plan. That was the job of the apostles. The apostles were, in a sense, the heirs of the Old Testament prophets. The Old Testament prophets wrote the Old Testament. The apostles wrote the New Testament. And so the Bible is what is supreme and sufficient. It is the Bible that is now complete because of the apostles. Prophets do not function on that level of authority. And because prophets do not function on the same level of authority as Scripture, they must be evaluated by Scripture. You see, they sit under Scripture. And so it is the Scriptures which stands as the supreme and sufficient authority in life and doctrine, not what prophets say. And so prophecy today should never sound like, thus says the Lord. Prophecy today should not sound like that because it functions on a different level. And so prophecy today should not function in the sense that God told me to say this to you like I am super 100% confident. It doesn't function on that level because the reality is that what we're seeing here, it doesn't function on that level. 
we do not have that certainty with prophecy until it is evaluated. It's never new revelation about God and Christ and his saving plan for us. And finally, it is also worth noting that prophecy is not necessarily prediction of future. Even in the Old Testament, prophecy was not always about predicting the future. The great prophet Moses, not everything he said was about the future, you see. And so prophecy, we need to understand this. David Jackman, a pastor in England, he says, the essence of prophecy is not the prediction of the future so much as revealing the mind and will of God. It is to reveal something of God's mind and will and that's why it must be assessed according to scripture which does fully reveal the mind and will of God which is complete, sufficient and supreme. And so what does prophecy look like today? Well, I suspect in a church like ours where we don't really claim I'm going to give you a word of prophecy, we don't really hear that language of prophecy in a church like ours, I suspect it still happens, just unknowingly and unrecognised. You see, when we have deep conversations at church, after church in growth groups, and someone tells you something that you really needed to hear for that, for that day. You really need to hear that, that word of encouragement, that, that word of scripture that someone had for you. That could be prophecy. It just goes unrecognised. Or even during sermons sometime, though preachers are meant to prepare, and they do prepare, and I do prepare, and pray before speaking, before preaching, in preparation. But sometimes during sermons, the preacher adds things that just comes to mind, a profound way of applying the text to the, to the church. And when he does so, it speaks so directly to the congregation in a profound and convicting way. That could be prophecy, you see. It just goes unrecognised. I suspect God still gives us these gifts. It just goes unrecognised. In fact, even in the New Testament, when Peter, remember this story, when he confessed that Jesus is the Christ, he did not know that he was in a sense prophesying. It was a revelation from God. This is what Matthew says. And Jesus said, This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. I mean, Peter didn't know that it was a revelation from heaven. Or when Caiaphas, remember the high priest, when he said, you do not realise that it is better for you that one man die for the people than, uh, than that the whole nation perish. Do you remember John the Apostle's comments on this? He said, he did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. You see, Cephas didn't even know he prophesied. And so I suspect it still happens today, it just goes unrecognised or unknowingly. But, however it happens today, whether we claim it is prophecy or not, whatever we might like to call it, prophecy, words of wisdom, it never undermines scripture. It always sits under scripture. It never undermines scripture but must be evaluated by scripture. And so we must remember that this too, this gift, is a grace gift given by God, distributed by the Spirit as he determines for the purpose of building the church. And so that's prophecy. Now we move on. Some tricky verses. 
in context, it is still about the regulation for use of prophecy. And so what follows here is not an absolute statement silencing women, absolutely, since only three chapters earlier in 1 Corinthians 11. Paul encouraged women to do what? To pray and prophesy, but with proper, appropriate manner. And so what I think this next bit is about is connected to the public weighing of prophecy, evaluating of prophecy in public. You see, that is a responsibility reserved for the recognised authoritative teachers of the church, which 1 Timothy chapter 2 makes clear are some men, not all men, but some men, the elders. And so verse 33, let's have a look. As in all the congregations of the saints, that is all the churches, women should remain silent in the churches. That is silent not absolutely, but silent in the evaluating of the prophecy. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. Which, when we look at the same argument early in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, what's the law? Well, it refers to the creation account in Genesis chapter 2. Paul goes on, If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. And so the silencing is in connection to the public weighing of prophecy, which is a job, a responsibility reserved for the authorised, recognised Bible teachers. So it's not silencing absolutely. It is the public weighing of prophecy by scripture. Ask me more questions during question time if you like. Finally, Paul brings it all together. He says now, don't think you're any different from all the other churches. These are the same principles for all the churches for all times. You ignore these principles, these commands from God, you will be ignored. And so let's have a look, final verses. Did the word of God originate with you or are you the only people he has reached? If anybody thinks he is a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I am saying, writing to you, is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. And so the same principle applies. Love determines what gifts to desire and love determines how gifts are to be used in church. And so now, by way of application, I do have a few final points so that we do have a, uh, a balanced biblical view on these two particular gifts. First point, and that is, whatever your spiritual gift, whatever that might be, be it singing, administration, teaching, tongues, prophecy, they must all be grounded in love. That's why chapter 13 is placed after chapter 12 and before chapter 14 in the middle. They must be exercised in love. Whatever gifts you have, use it in love, grounded in love for the building of the church of God. Love directs us to desire the greater gifts. And in this passage, it is the intelligible words that is preferred because the intelligible words build. 
You see, gifts are never given to us for our pride, for our own boasting, but for the common good of the church. Second thing, if love directs how gifts are used, we must remember then that having gifts does not equate to having the right to use it. I'll say say that again. Having the gifts does not equate to the right to use it. It must be used in the proper context. It must be used in the right context and it must be grounded in love. And so, for example, if I have the gift of preaching and teaching, it does not automatically grant me the right to be your preacher, does it? If I have that gift, I can't just come to the church and demand, I have these gifts and I must exercise it in your church. I can't do that. No. Having the gift does not equate to having the right to use it. In fact, if you know me well well enough, it was only after four years of crazy Bible study. The Bible's not crazy, but the studying part was. And after another two and a half years of more study, I see it jumping through hoops, but it was hard work, more study more interviews, more assessments. In fact, I had to do a psych test for them to see whether I'm crazy or not. Only after all of that and only after recognition by the church that I'm able to exercise my gift. You see, having the gift does not equate to having the right. It was a long process for me. And so it is with all the gifts, whatever gift you might have. Having the gift does not equate to having the right to exercise it. You should exercise it, but in the right context. And so having the gift of tongues does not mean I can speak in tongues whenever I choose to. You see, if in public, Paul does make it clear here, it must be translated. Otherwise, keep it private, where it is not forbidden. Having the gift of prophecy does not mean that I can stand up at any time and claim Thus says the Lord. It must be remembered that it sits under the authority of Scripture. Prophecy must never be taken as gospel. It must be evaluated. You see, the authority of Scripture is never transferred to the prophet. There are such things as false prophets. That's why what they say must be evaluated by Scripture. And so having gifts does not equate to having the right to use it whenever I like it. And of course, not having the gifts does not mean I despise it or I envy it, but we praise God for how he has given grace gifts to different individuals for the common purpose. And now finally, if love is the motivation for using any of these gifts, it is not the more sensational or the more spectacular a gift that makes it more important. Rather, it is the more loving that makes it more important. Do you see that? It is not the more spiritual or sensational or phenomenal that makes it important. It is love that makes it more important. And so when we put this into perspective, tongues and prophecy are dispensable. Tongues and prophecy are dispensable. If no one has these gifts, if no one exercises these gifts, the church will still be built up through other gifts, especially and primarily in the teaching of the word of God. 
What is indispensable is the word of God. What is indispensable in the building up of the church of God is the Bible. You see, without that, there is no clear revelation. There is no understanding of the mind and will of God without the Bible. Tongues and prophecy are dispensable. The Bible is not. And that is why the role of the Bible teacher is paramount to the health of any church, not prophets. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, in Titus chapter 1, it is the exhortation to appoint elders and teachers, those entrusted with proclaiming and teaching and declaring the word of God. They're the ones to guard the church from error, from false doctrine, from false prophets. They are the ones to evaluate prophecies. They are the ones to shepherd the flock. And so, if any church gets super excited when someone in the church speaks in tongues or prophesies where there is no certainty to its validity, but the church, because of that, feels more special, more mature, more spiritual, more important because of those sensational gifts in the church, while at the same time not excited when week in and week out the word of God, which we have complete confidence in, is taught faithfully and applied in love. If that is how a church responds to these sensational gifts, putting them up on pedestals, looking down on the public teaching of the word of God, then there is something amiss. The focus is wrong. You see, the more sensational a gift doesn't make it more important. It is love that governs. Tongues and prophecy are dispensable. The Bible is not. And so finally, as a church, our services will look and will always look different to other services. That's okay. Other services will always look different to ours. That's okay. But as a church, we must remember whatever gifts God, by his grace, in his grace, has given us, it is for the purpose of building up his church. And so we desire the gifts that achieves that, the building of his church. And we use our gifts that must honour that, the building of his church. Now, we've covered a tough topic, but I hope that makes it clear to you. We are people who always submit and so let us let that form our thinking and our practice. So let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is true. Though difficult, we are meant to understand. And so help us to submit to your word and to apply in the practice of our church that love directs the gifts we desire and that love directs how we use our gifts. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Back to Dan. to ask, so they'll come up on the screen and we'll be able to follow along there in just a moment. Okay, so the first is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 35 says, if they want to inquire about something, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. So, what if the woman uh, does not have a husband, or who should they inquire of? Okay, very good question. So, the word 
woman is interchangeable with wife, same as the word man is interchangeable with husband. Are we talking about wives or women in general? Well, people try to argue that their principle away by saying it only applies to married women. But in a sense, what happened in the first century was that the married women were those who were given a greater status. And so if it applied to them, most certainly it will apply to the single women. And so what it could also mean, or what could, how this could also be read, is that uh, women ask the man of the house. And so if you're a single woman, then you ask your father. Yep, that's great, thank you. Um, next question. How does speaking in tongues help in personal edification? Would you be speaking in a language you could understand? How does it help? Well, all I know is that it does, because the Bible tells us so. So it does, it's meant to. Somehow your, your, your spirit's praying and you're, you're praying to God in words you don't understand, but somehow you're edified. The Bible tells us so. So I don't want to deny that. It happens and so it must not be forbidden. That's all I can say about that really. And so I'm speaking from my own experience. I don't speak in uh, spiritual tongues in a sense, the tongues of languages. I speak in different languages. I don't pray in different languages. So I suspect this is different to that. But somehow the person praying is edified. That's all we're told and that's what we believe. The Bible tells us so. Yeah, I think that's all the questions. Is that right? Yep, I'm getting nods. No worries. Thanks very much, John. Uh, if you've still got questions, I'm sure uh, if you were to ask John afterwards, he'd be happy to answer those for you as well.